Hi there, this is Lisa Rudman from Making Contact. It's time to put your money where your media is. Please support Making Contact today and click the donate button at radioproject.org. Help us produce our people-powered radio and become a supporter at radioproject.org. Thank you, and here's the show. Why is nonviolence such an important, not just a tactic, not just a strategy, but an important philosophy? Because it respects the capacity of human beings to grow. It gives them the opportunity to grow their souls. And we owe that to each other. That's Chinese-American philosopher, activist, and writer Grace Lee Boggs. Today on Making Contact, you'll hear excerpts from the documentary American Revolutionary, The Evolution of Grace Lee Boggs. The film, produced and directed by Grace Lee, no relation to Boggs, follows the lifelong activism of Ms. Boggs, who spent the better part of the last century advocating for human rights within the black community of Detroit. Born in 1915 in Rhode Island, Grace Lee Boggs was a unique and powerful voice in the civil rights movement. She continued to fight for social justice up until the day she passed away in 2015 at the age of 100. Here's Boggs describing her early organizing work and her introduction to the plight of Chicago's black working class. And then I went out into the world and I found that even department stores would say, we don't hire Orientals. So I got on a train and went to Chicago, found a job there in the philosophy library for $10 a week. It wasn't very much to live on, so I found a woman who said I could stay in her basement rent-free. The only trouble was that I had to face a barricade of rats in order to get to the basement. So one day, I came across a meeting of people protesting rat-infested housing. That brought me in contact with the black community for the first time. And now I think about this now. I had never been in contact with black people before. In 1941, the Depression had ended for white workers, but not for black workers. I was aware that people were suffering, but it was more a statistical thing. And here in Chicago, I was coming into contact with it as a human thing. Being in contact with the black community brought me in contact with the 1941 March on Washington movement to demand jobs for blacks in defense plants. Tens of thousands of blacks were ready to march on Washington, and Roosevelt couldn't afford that to happen. So he issued Executive Order 8802, banning discrimination in defense plants. I found out that if you mobilize a mass action, you can change the world. And I thought to myself, boy, if a movement can achieve that, that's what I want to do with my life. In the early 1960s, Grace Lee Boggs moved away from the Marxist framework to focus on revolutions she saw emerging right here in the U.S. from within the black community. 
She began speaking out publicly in support of the Black Power movement and quickly became a force to be reckoned with. Networking with other civil rights activists across the nation, fighting against racist policies and gaining a reputation with the FBI. Even Angela Davis, the 1960s black power icon, described Grace Lee Boggs as, quote, having made more contributions to the black struggle than most black people have, end quote. This speaks volumes about Grace Lee Boggs, the daughter of Chinese immigrants who went on to make a tremendous impact within the black community. The Negro Revolt is here. I believe that the Negro Revolt represents the beginning of a new revolutionary epoch. I made a speech at the Center for the Study of Democratic Institutions in Santa Barbara. I tried to help these male intellectuals, these liberal intellectuals, understand that the black movement was about something deeper than rights. One could say, for the American Negro, to achieve the middle-class white American standards is a revolution. I don't think whites understand the degree to which Negroes do not want their whiteness. I'm trying to suggest that the Negro is striving to become equal to a particular image of himself that he has achieved, that he is not trying to become equal to whites. There was a great philosophic transition for me, which I had begun when I began examining the difference between Martin Luther King and Malcolm. The goal of Dr. Martin Luther King is to get Negroes to forgive the people who have brutalized them for, uh, for 400 years by, by lulling them to sleep and making them forgetting what those whites have done to them. There's a great deal of difference between non-resistance to evil and non-violent resistance. My relationship to King has changed over the years. I was one of the organizers of the 1963 march down Woodward Avenue in Detroit. I have a dream this afternoon. One day right here in Detroit, Negroes will be able to buy a house anywhere that their money will carry them. But I didn't think much of him. I really thought he was naive. I really did, because I, I was a Malcolm person. I would go and hear Malcolm speak. Why, you're the one that make it hard for yourself. The white man believes you when you go to him with that old sweet talk, because you've been sweet talking him ever since he brought you here. And audiences would squirm as he would challenge them to think differently, to transform themselves. We see the events of 1963 through the eyes of the mass media. We see events like that and are not aware of the struggles that were taking place and forcing new developments. Martin Luther King was being persecuted by the FBI during that period as being pro-communist. Many people in the black movement were afraid that if they didn't purge themselves of left-wing elements, that the movement would be destroyed. Here's historian Stephen Ward discussing Grace and her husband, Jimmy Boggs, perspective on radical and militant action as a strategy of the civil rights movement. 
I think they felt that violence was already happening and that violence was inevitable. In fact, it was at the Grassroots Leadership Conference where Malcolm X delivered one of his most famous speeches, Message to the Grassroots. Can we play the record? Would you like to play it? Yes. Okay. We want to have just an off-the-cuff chat between you and me, us, concerning the difference between the Black Revolution and the Negro Revolution. Revolution is in Africa. Revolution is in Asia. Spreading its head in Latin America. Only kind of revolution that's nonviolent is the Negro Revolution. Forgive me, Grace. They've been thinking about revolution for a decade and a half. So now they're seeing in this particular radical and militant stream of black protests a new way to think about and envision and enact the American Revolution. So when Grace helps to build the Freedom Now Party, she's the only non-black person in this self-consciously all-black political organization whose goal is not to achieve integration, but to try to realize some power, political power for African Americans. The word power strikes white people as something dangerous, threatening. And we were only talking about blacks being in office. That was Grace Lee Boggs. And again, you're listening to American Revolutionary, The Evolution of Grace Lee Boggs. Here's the film's producer and director, Grace Lee. Back in 1963, Grace was still speaking as an outsider. I want to make very clear that I I do not claim in any sense of the word to be a Negro. I have not lived all my life as a Negro, and I don't think anyone who hasn't really can speak for the Negro. But once she becomes a black power activist, she starts using the word we. In the black movement, when we were demanding first-class citizenship, we were saying we were being denied that. We were very ethical, but we wanted more than that. Right. We wanted to become part of the people who took responsibility for the country. So by 1966, 67, she's well known, particularly in Detroit circles, but also nationally, as a black power figure. And I became so active in the black power movement that FBI records of that time say that I was probably (laughs) Afro-Chinese. You're listening to American Revolutionary, The Evolution of Grace Lee Boggs, on Making Contact. To hear this entire program and others, check out our website, radioproject.org. Subscribe to our podcast, sign up for Making Contact updates, take our survey, or join the conversation on Facebook or Twitter. Now back to the film, American Revolutionary, The Evolution of Grace Lee Boggs. In 2008, Grace invited me to a tiny island off the coast of Maine. That's Grace Lee, producer and director of American Revolutionary, describing an experience with Miss Boggs that brought her closer to understanding the rich and multifaceted life that the social activists led. So if you will be on that side of me as we go across, okay. uh, I feel more comfortable. Okay. She and Jimmy began coming here every year after the turbulent summer of 1967. I hope that coming here would help me understand 
how she went from being the 60s militant to the woman I know today. As we sat here against the background of the ocean, of the trees, we just began talking. And we started these conversations, which are now published as Conversations in Maine. Every summer, Grace and Jimmy would join their old friends Lyman and Freddie Payne in Lyman's family home. They had known each other since the 1940s when they worked with CLR James. Over the years, we had these long conversations. The question of revolution and rebellion was a big question. You had long lived for the days when the mass would be in motion. Now the question is, where is the motion going? What are the depths of it? And what changes have to take place in people in order to bring about a revolution. Talking together, we were able to create a kind of consciousness among ourselves. And I think we realized a rebellion is an outburst of anger, but it's not revolution. Revolution is evolution towards something much grander in terms of what it means to be a human being. You can have discussion, you can have a meal, you can plot whatever. We plotted picket lines, we plotted anything we, we wished to do. At the end, it was always, okay, let's put on some music and let's relax. And music, relaxing, and dancing part of the thing. Hey! So then, tradition has it. Welcome to the house. Delicious. Well, I started going in 78 and then went back every year uh, with Grace and Jim. I think it's really important to understand. It was my first exposure to talking about what's this all mean, where are we headed. Ideas matter. And when you take a position, you should try and examine what its implications are. That it is not enough to say, this is what I think, this is what I feel, and leave it at that. I can remember, for example, do you mind if I just change my tape for a moment? Uh, Grace has stacks of these old recordings, physical proof of how much she values conversation. The only models that whites had... We're the only living things that have conversations, as far as we know. When you have a conversation, you never know what's going to come out of your mouth or out of somebody else's mouth. Grace, come on. Freddie, I'm sorry, I don't think this is... I really don't. Okay, I'm sorry. It all goes back to Hegel. For Grace, conversation is where you try to honestly confront the limits of your own ideas in order to come to a new understanding. Talk is cheap, but they talk about their feelings, about what was important about their feelings, and then uh, uh, turn around and say know, that Nancy, to the mother. I really, really, really get... Ex- I, I, I'm sorry. When you just say, talk is cheap like that, I, I, I can't, I can't, I find it very, very difficult to take. I want to tell you honestly, their talk was not cheap. You're making an in, you're saying that you're this saying is things important like talk is and cheap. this is, no, you're, uh-uh. sa- you're not listening to me. You're saying that we can talk about what's important in a revolutionary movement, but we don't have to act like it. 
Grace was hard on people. There's no question about it. Grace, I, I think what Nancy's raising is... You know, I sometimes think she didn't mean it personally, but she would be so intent on whatever her idea was and be so sure that she needed to push you in that, and if you resisted, she'd get mad. I think it's hypocritical. Well, I, I'm sorry, this, this, you know, I feel the number of adjectives that you're using with regard to her are very excessive. I really do. Well, and I think you really should look at it. Well, I should. Did she make people cry? Oh, God, yes, she made all kinds of people cry. (laughs) Myself included, but all kinds of people, yeah. I could probably give you a rather long list. Two, three. Freddie in the afternoon would make cranberry sauce, and I would read to her. Jackson understood that the psychic scars carried by white workers were as damaging to our national well-being as the scars carried by African Americans. The hidden injuries of class... There are times when expanding our imaginations is what is required. The radical movement has overemphasized the role of activism and underestimated the role of reflection. Grace Boggs was passionate yet practical. She was able to develop empowering micro-level community programs in response to oppressive macro-level societal problems She represents the beauty of fighting for human rights in the face of adversity, while also creating a life of joy and love. By shining a light on Grace Lee Boggs' work in Detroit, the film American Revolutionary reminds us to never underestimate the power of local, place-based community building. I grew to love Detroit and to feel responsible for Detroit that I was able to grow. And trying one thing after another and trying to learn from everything that I try. Mm-hmm. And that's the only way. I mean, the, the illusion that there's a quick answer leads to burnout. As Grace struggled to understand the violence that was devastating her community, she returned to the evolving ideas of Malcolm and Martin. Malcolm really struggled and towards the end of his life began to be critical of black nationalism and went down to make common cause with King. After Malcolm was killed, I would attend these meetings and I would see young people, 14, 15, 16-year-olds, getting up and limiting Malcolm to sort of meet violence with violence. And I knew something was terribly wrong. Why is nonviolence such an important, not just a tactic, not just a strategy, but an important philosophy? Because it respects the capacity of human beings to grow. It gives them the opportunity to grow their souls. And we owe that to each other. And I, it'll take me a long time to learn that. All of you are clapping. I suggest you do some more thinking. 
But as I saw the violence increase in our cities, I wondered, would it have been possible to combine Malcolm's militancy with King's nonviolence? I began reading King much more carefully. In 1965, the explosion in Watts burst out. And King flew to California. And he was amazed to hear that these young people had never heard of him, that they thought nonviolence was foolish. And he began thinking, what do I do about that? I am convinced that if we are to get on the right side of the world revolution, we as a nation must undergo a radical revolution of values. We must rapidly begin. We must rapidly begin the shift from a thing-oriented society to a person-oriented society. King said, what are young people in our dying cities need are direct action programs which enable them to transform themselves and their institutions at the same time. Right now, bright sunshine at 66 degrees downtown. It's an incredible city. That's one of the things that's very exciting about Detroit also because it's not going to be re-industrialized. It's got, something else has got to come out of it. And we're, we're really thinking about how do we rebuild it now? How do we take the space? How do we make something new out of it? In 1992, Jimmy and Grace helped launch a program called Detroit Summer to transform the vacant lots and buildings of Detroit, hoping that in the process, young people would transform themselves. Thank you for coming back, Carol. When they can see themselves making a difference, they also become different. That has to be part, an integral part of the process of revolution. I have one line. Grace gave it to me Friday morning. The part of our organizing work, we want to bring the neighbor back to the hood. <laughs> How you doing? So I was 16, and I volunteered to be a part of Detroit Summer. Um, I was actually the very first person to sign up. And I had profound questions. Why does everybody talk about Detroit in the past tense? You know, it's just a sty. I'm living in Detroit now. And I don't want to feel inferior all the time because Detroit isn't the city that it used to be. Grace Lee Box was a complex woman. She knew the ins and outs of political activism, community building, philosophical theories, you name it. Her brilliance was matched by that of her husband, Jimmy Boggs, a black auto worker and political activist. Together they made a strong and inseparable team, lifting up the voices of Detroit's marginalized populations but as an individual, in her own right, Grace Lee Boggs represented another population that was also overlooked and underrepresented, Asian Americans. It was not until late in life, when she was asked to write an autobiography, that she really began to reflect on her role as a social justice advocate and embodiment of Asian American activism. People began asking me to speak on the Asian American movement. 
and I discovered my ignorance. People were so searching for icons that they sort of fixed on me, even though I wasn't an Asian American icon. <laughs> the varieties of Asian Americans that I see around here is so, is so enormous. I mean, it's just incredible. I met Grace when I was still struggling with a sense of, you know, where do Asians fit in in a world that's mostly white and black? When we think about Grace in the 20th century, she is very much an outsider. In the 21st century, she represents the uniting of people from different races and different backgrounds in a way that is now defining America. Let me make a challenge to you, okay? With people of color becoming the new American majority in many parts of the country, how are we going to create a new vision for this country? Absolutely. A vision of a new kind of human being, which is what is demanded at this moment. I can't begin to tell you the number of young people who come to Detroit. They come in order to be part of this new world that is being created. How many of you have been to Detroit before? You're going to see a lot of abandonment, but you'll see it's about rebuilding a new way of life for people who've been completely left behind by a capitalist system which has gone elsewhere looking for profit. People had to find new ways to promote economic survival when unemployment was reaching upwards of 50% as it has now. Grace was at the forefront of the movements in Detroit that were developing urban gardens and eventually even bigger urban farms. Most gardeners, I say 90% of gardeners, don't garden on land they own. They're gardening on vacant lots that are next to their house or across the street. And they paint because of tires. To think of gardens as the basis of hope was something that was unthinkable just a few years ago. As Detroit summer was emerging and they were doing murals and they were doing gardens, the question I was always asking was, what does this have to do with the movement? They're nice projects. I think what I've begun to understand is that individuals who experience and get involved in those projects become leaders, become thinkers, become compassionate people that see themselves as makers of history. It starts with imagining the kids in the space and in the community and how it's going to grow more by trial and error than it's going to grow by blueprint. That's always my downfall. <laughs> I think I can get it perfect and then do it, as opposed to knowing that, that I, you do it by making mistakes. Yeah, you make your path by walking. Summer, it's more than a season. When I moved to the city, was the core of the reason. Can I clarify all the distortion you see? And gotta break your mind out of prison while the warden is sleeping. One of my favorite quotes by Grace is that creativity is the key to human liberation. You begin to shape the idea of what you mean by quality education. You know, and so. First of all, everybody who talks about quality education is really talking about how can our people become more like white people and advance in the system. I don't 
you know, I, 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 let me, I, I beg to differ with you on that. Most people think of ideas as fixed. Ideas have their power because they're not fixed. That once they become fixed, they're already dead. Gracely Boggs could not be put into a box or easily defined. She broke barriers to dedicate her life to uplifting disenfranchised communities. She represents perseverance, power, and her legacy lives on through the social movements of today and the countless young activists she inspired. You've been listening to the documentary, American Revolutionary, The Evolution of Grace Lee Boggs. Special thanks to the producer and director, Grace Lee, for use of the film, and Raptivist Invincible for use of the song, Detroit Summer. Justice and truth prevail, set sail, help sell us about the run runners, sneak in the booze and ale. Underground railroad, last stop, Detroit River, escaping the freedom, had to swim across the winter. Can you feel the ancestors in these currents? The Making Contact team is Lisa Rudman, Salima Himarani, Monica Lopez, Anita Johnson, and Sabine Blazin. I'm Anita Johnson. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to you joining us again next week for another episode of Making Contact. <laughs>